This is the new and improved SBI podcast because we are no longer the SBI podcast. We are the SBI show. I am Garrett Cleverly, and Dirty Jersey is Ivis Galarsep. What's up, man? How's it going, man? It's going well, man. How's your weekend going? It, it, it went pretty well. It was one of those rare weekends where there were no MLS games in the immediate area, not in New York, not in Philly, not in uh, D.C., I think. Was there one in D.C.? But, you know, and no, there was no national team game to travel to, so... I was able to spend the weekend with my family and uh, take the kids to the park and enjoy kind of a chill weekend. You know, I had the same weekend you did. There were no MLS games in the area of Phoenix at all, so I didn't go to any MLS games this weekend. <laughs> uh, I know how rare that happens. It, I, I know. It's shocking that, that the closest stadium to us is over seven hours away, but, you know, those are just minor details, Ivis. Uh, today, we have a very good show lined up. We're going to talk to Brad Guzon. We're going to talk to Will Johnson of the Portland Timbers and Ivis and I are going to talk a little bit more about the MLS and the weekend that it was. Before we get into all of that, let's talk about the Americans abroad. A, a good but quiet weekend. Absolutely. It was a positive weekend. You had a, quite a few good signs, especially on the injury front. When you talk about Steve Trundolo coming back and starting uh, for Hanover and also Stuart Holden earning another start for Sheffield Wednesday in a win, in a key relegation battle win for them. Uh, you know, obviously he's on loan there. So, you know, you had those positive signs. You had Joe Jow getting some playing time. And then, obviously, you had the man himself, the, the you know, one of the hottest, if not the hottest American player right now, Brad Guzan, putting in another outstanding performance and a win for Aston Villa. That was, well, when you talk about huge performances for Brad Guzan, that, that was big because now that moves him out of the relegation zone. And, I mean, they're a club that's kind of teetering right there. And, I mean, they're one of the bigger clubs that spends the money. So, you know, obviously them going down is is going to be devastating for that club. Oh, it would be, absolutely. And and like you said, I mean, that, that that's a team that has some some big-ticket uh, players on it. And, and, you know, they really started, seems like in the last few weeks, they've really started to turn it on and, and kind of straighten things out after a really rough, uh, you know, February and early March and a lot, you know, big credit to that. A big part of that has been Brad Guzan's playing goal. You know, he since he took over the job early in the year, he has been the most consistent bright spot on that team, and, and he and he hasn't let up at any point. And uh, this weekend, once again, he put in another strong showing, and, and right now things are looking pretty good for the villains. No, they are looking good, and I mean, he's kind of had an interesting season. I mean, he started the season on the bench with uh, Shea Given was the starting goalkeeper, you know. But Shea Given, he kind of showed his age in the Euros this past year, you know, and really showed it for Villa. You know, and Brad Guzan, you know, I, I remember when he signed with Villa, people were talking about, you know, what's he doing there? You know, he's going to sit on the bench, but you know, he he waited his turn, kept his mouth shut, got put into the roster, and he hasn't looked back since he got uh, you know named the starting goalkeeper for the team. Oh, without a doubt, there's been no shaky moments for him. He's been completely confident and very strong uh, in all facets. And and you know, I remember talking to him back in May about you know what the next step would be and whether he'd resign or whether he'd take up one of the other offers that that had come his way because there were there were actually quite a few teams that were interested in signing him. Uh, even though he'd pretty much been only a backup in Europe, I think he'd shown enough in in the few moments in the few games that he did get to start. Uh, he did have a stretch of games last year where he got to show his stuff, and I think some teams caught wind of, of the quality. Uh, but, you know, he stuck it out in Villa, uh, which some people questioned. It was a decision a lot of people questioned at the time, but, you know, Paul Lambert, the new the new manager there, promised them an open competition for that job, and, and that's exactly what it was. So when Shea Givens, you know, show, you know, started to show the age mm-hmm. and really wasn't the level at the same level he was in, in his best years, uh, you know, Brad Guzan completely took advantage took over and now he from you know for me he's been one of the more impressive goalkeepers in the Premier League. No, I agree with you on that. Well let's head out to England. Let's welcome in Brad Guzan, the starting goalkeeper for Aston Villa. Brad, how you doing today? Good, very good. Thanks for having me guys. It's a pleasure to have you on. Big win for you guys this weekend defeating Stoke City uh three to one. That battle uh for you guys is coming down to the wire here at the end of the season. Yeah, it's uh it's definitely gonna come down to the to, to the last few games. Um you know, it's uh, it's it's tight for sure. Now, now, Brad, obviously, you know, you've had a great season so far, and just wanted to ask you a little about the last summer and that decision to uh, to re-sign with Aston Villa. I know when I when I talked to you back in May, and you were still kind of weighing the decision uh, when you re-signed. It seemed like a lot of people were surprised that you re-signed, but but ultimately, what kind of made the final decision for you to come back to Villa? Uh, did you, I mean? Did you really? It was just the, the what the manager said to you, like uh, as far as your ability to fight for that number one spot. Yeah, I mean, it was it was basically a, it was a, a conversation that that we had where um, you know the the message was clear that that everyone kind of starts fresh and 
Um, you know, sometimes when, when managers say that, um, you know, they say it, but you don't necessarily believe it. Um, but for me, you know, after, after that conversation, um, with everything else that I felt that I, I still had to give to, to the club, um, you know, that conversation, you know, that, that kind of put me over the top of it. You know, I knew I wanted to come back and, and continue to fight for, for a spot here. <clears throat> now, now for, you know, American soccer fans, uh, following you when you went over there, you know, it, it was quite a few years that, that you, you were a backup, um, you know, put your time in there as a number two. How, how tough was that, that just period of time? Uh, also, how much did you learn in, during that period of time? Obviously, now that you've gotten a starting job and you've been, you've been outstanding, it's clear that, you know, you didn't, didn't waste those years doing nothing. You, have, you kept, you know, kept honing your, your craft, but how, how tough was that just those years going by of kind of not knowing when you'd get your chance? Yeah, I mean that's 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 part of being a goalkeeper. I mean, you you don't know when you're going to get your chance. Um, you know, and for me when I when I first came, it was definitely a learning curve going from MLS to to the Premier League. So, I knew it was going to take some time to get adjusted. Um, but then even even when I felt after um, you know, that first year, I felt I was I was ready to to be playing. Um, you know, the opportunity just never presented itself and you know, as a goalie, you just have to, to keep fighting and, and make sure you're ready for your chance. And, you know, during those years, you know, like you said, you, you can't just sit around and um, you just kind of let the time pass. You, you have to be trying to get better in, you know, all the ways that uh, you can as a goalie. And for me, it was it was obviously learning from a guy like Brad Friedel, who, you know, we, we all know what his, his resume, you know, it, it speaks for itself. So um, to work with a guy like him day in and day out, and, and to be able to pick his brain about situations, about being a young goalie in England and, and what it takes. And, um, you know, you, you try to use all those little little conversations that you have with guys and, and try to get better from it. How did your experience in MLS kind of prepare you for all this? I mean, obviously, you know, that, that rookie year, I mean, after going through that, I'm sure any, anything else is possible. That had to be one of the, you know, toughest years uh anyone can remember for a, for a goalkeeper, especially a rookie goalkeeper, how much did that kind of prepare you just for everything you've gone through since you've left the league? Yeah, I mean, you know, that my first year in the MLS, it was, it was a year where I was, I was definitely kind of thrown into the fire, if you will. And, um, you know, you're kind of learning on the job. And for me, it was, it was a big change, obviously from college soccer to the MLS. And, and ultimately when I moved from, from, you know, Chivas USA to, to Villa, um, it was even a bigger jump. Um, but having that, that title of being a professional under your belt for a few years, you know, gives you the confidence to, to come to England. And, you know, although it is a, a big jump and, you know, the, the speed of place is much faster. Um, the ability of players is, is much better. Um, you still have that, that confidence in yourself that, okay, you've, you've done it at a professional level for a few years. Um, now it's it's time to test yourself against the the best in the world and the best league in the world, and um, so you you try to rise to the challenge. Brad, for yourself, you know how has being the number one goalkeeper at Aston Villa helped you prepare, you know, for the national team, especially like you said when you're in the EPL and you're going against some of the best talent in the world. Yeah, I mean it's it's been good. Um, you know, this being the the first time in in five years where I've been playing consistently uh, week in and week out. It's it's definitely given me um, you know a lot of confidence to to take that from from my club situation and, and going with the national team um, and you know I, I think that it's helped me become more of a you know a, a mature player in terms of um, you know understanding what you know our team is about here at the club situation and and to take that to to our national team where. You know, I think both both places it's it's kind of a transition period right now. Now, Brad, we have to talk about the qualifiers that you just played in uh, to you know great results and and great games. And now you're you're from the Chicago area. I'm sure you're familiar with cold weather uh, and have played your share of games yeah. in the cold weather. But have you ever had an experience like you had in Colorado against Costa Rica? No, I've I've definitely played in a few games where it was snowing. Um, maybe some flurries have stuck stuck on the, on the ground, but definitely nothing like, uh, what it was like in Denver. I mean, that was, it was, uh, pretty extreme and, and pretty crazy to say the least. 
What was that like having guys shovel shoveling around you during the game? I mean, I can't imagine you've ever had that had that happen before. Yeah, no, not not at all, not at all. Um, you know, obviously the 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 grounds crew and and the guys that that you know tried to keep the field playable. Um, you know, they they did a great job. Um, but yeah, it, you know, with with guys shoveling around you, not being able to see the ball at the at the other end of the the field. Um, I mean, it was it was pretty bizarre, um, but uh, definitely one that that won't soon be forgotten. You you never played a game like that back at home in Illinois? Uh, maybe maybe in the backyard, but I I don't think to to that extreme. Definitely not a, a competitive game, that's for sure. <laughs> now, now you follow that up. You go down. You, you know, you go from the snow, and, and as you know, we were both we were both out there. It snowed for a few days, and it's like winter wonderland. To go to to the next day, you're in Mexico and it's you know 80 and sunny. Uh, tell yeah. tell me about that. Tell me about that game and, and also just about the team performance and especially the defense. Uh, the way the the way you guys you and the back four just came together and 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 shut them down. Talk, just talk about that game. Yeah, it was it was obviously going to be a, a big challenge for us. You know, as as a team um, and, and definitely as a as a as a back you know back four back five. Um, you know, it, it was going to be a challenge. And so going down there, obviously the, the first game in Denver, the, the three points that gave us a, a boost and, and a, a lift. Um, so going down there, we were full of confidence. And we knew that we had the ability to, to go and get a result. And we knew it wasn't going to be easy. But if we, you know, continue to help each other, to, to talk to each other, to stay organized, stay, stay compact and, and make it hard to, to play against, um, you know, we were going to give ourselves a, a real chance to get a, a good result. And I think the guys in front of me did a, a really good job in terms of limiting their chances. Um, you know, and the chances they had were, you know, I would say probably, you know, half, half chances, you know, if you will. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a testament to their, their hard work and, and their ability to, to close down some of their players. Um, so yeah, overall it was, it was a, it was a huge result, but I think it was, um, you know, that, that's, uh, because, because of the work rate and, and the effort that was put in by, but not just the, the back, you know, the guys in the back, it was, it was everybody. Um, and, and that's why we were able to get a, a good result. Walking onto the field, we were told that the, the noise was insane. We had Matt Beasler on the other day and he said that he couldn't even hear the national anthem when it was being played for you guys. Did you hear it at all? Um, <laughs> Vaguely, vaguely. I mean, you know, going into a game like that, you're going to obviously go into a hostile environment, um, you know, where, where the crowd is, is definitely booing you and, and whistling and, you know, completely against you. So, um, you, you prepare yourself for it, you know, for myself. Um, you know, I've, I've been in a few of those games, whether, you know, on the bench or had the, the chance to play in a few of them. So, you know, I, I knew going in it was it was going to be um, you know a hostile environment, and so you you prepare yourself for it, and, and you just have to find a way to get on with it. Now, now you had quite a few highlights in that game, especially some big saves late in the game. But I, I feel like one of the lasting images of that game was when Jesus Zavala went up to challenge for a ball and ran into you like a like a Mack truck, and he, he just laid out on the ground for quite a while now. Did you feel him he make contact and, and admit it? Did, did you see him on the ground and kind of get a little laugh at, at the fact that he tried to come at you? No, no, I made mean, – obviously, I think the the, the play kind of favored myself because obviously I can I can see him looking at the ball, um, you know, out of the corner of my eye, and, and I don't think he sees me because he's he's looking over his shoulder at the ball – and and I'm coming onto the ball, so um, as I'm coming forward, I, I I can brace myself for for the challenge that that's going to be. Um, and then I think you know, as a as a striker and as a as an attacking player, you you you're kind of left exposed, and um, you know he he probably took the the full force of it. <laughs> Definitely, it looked a bit like almost like an NFL hit. Uh, obviously, if that was on, if that was on like an NFL show, I think they would have given him the "you got jacked up" uh, message on that <laughs> one. Um, obviously, you know, you, you had a couple of great games now with, with the national team. You, you're in outstanding form for Villa, and obviously, the, the talks are already going on about 
the battle for number one with the U.S., uh, you know, with you and Tim. Obviously, Tim's been the number one for a while now, and, and that's just kind of natural how that, that talk's going to start. Jurgen addressed it uh, this week in New York. Uh, you know, I was there uh, the, on Friday, and he said Tim's the number one. Uh, that that hasn't changed. Can you just talk about that that kind of competition and that? I mean, obviously, you you, you and Tim know each other really well. Just talk about that, you know, that competition that's there now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I it's it's not that it's it's just there now. I mean, I've I've always said that, you know, as as a goalkeeper, as as a group of goalkeepers, you try to push each other, you try to make each other better. Um, so ultimately, whoever's name is called, you know, on a match day, that you know they're they're prepared to the fullest and and they're ready to help the team. And you know, for me, that that doesn't change. I, I continue to to push myself to get better. Uh, hopefully, I push Tim to to get better and. And that way, you know, who, whoever is called um, for whatever reason, um, you know, they're they're ready to play. I mean, that's that's what it's about. It's about making each other better um, and ultimately making the team better. Uh, now, you know, obviously, coming into those qualifiers, there was a lot of talk about whether the team was together or whether there was dissension in the ranks or, or questions about Jurgen. But the vibe I got from the team, especially after that that Costa Rica game, and then definitely after the Mexico game. Was that this this group was really kind of together, like like they were like like you guys really. I don't know if it was all that the controversy kind of brought, brought you guys together, but did you get that sense in this last camp that that there was that little just more camaraderie there, like you guys, you know, I don't know if it was because you guys realized how important these results were. Did you get that sense that you guys were a little closer this time around? Yeah, for sure, and 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 I think you know it it didn't have anything to do really with with the you know off the field stuff, if you will, you know the the article or whatever it was, um, you know, I think going into the camp, you know, each one of us as, as individuals, we knew how important, you know, those two games were going to be and, and how difficult they're going to be. Um, and so going in, yeah, we, we definitely as a team and as a, and as a group, especially with some younger faces, some new faces, um, you know, I think we, we got some unfair criticism, you know, from the press and, you know, the, we we basically said, listen, there's there's no reason why we can't go out and get two good results. You know, during this this international break, we we know we have to, um, because we we know the the first result, you know, obviously didn't go our way, and um, we had to kind of turn things uh, turn things around. And so going in, you know, from from the first moment we we all got together at the hotel, um, you know, you arrive from the airport, you know what it's about. You're there to, to obviously do a job and and make sure, you know, at the end of the camp that um, you leave with definitely three and if if not more points. And so for us to, to walk away with four points from those two games um, was huge. Brad, you know, you've been in Assenville now since 2008, you know, and it seems like a a funny thing with Brad Fields developed that English accent. You know, you, your Birmingham accent's kind of sneaking in there every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're over here. Um, you know, you, uh, you, you, you deal with guys, you start, you start using, you know, words that you'd use in the U S and, uh, you know, they give you a hard time over here about it. And then all of a sudden you use words back in the U S that you'd use in the UK and, and, uh, you know, your friends back home give you a hard time about it. So it's a, it's a lose lose situation, but, um, yeah, you know, I've, I've enjoyed my time here for sure. To, to be fair, it didn't sneak the the accent didn't sneak out on this particular interview. Uh, I have heard it before, but but you 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 haven't uh, it hasn't got, come out here. Do you, do you do you catch yourself like can you can you hold it down when you need to? Can you keep it out? Uh, keep it out of your out of your vocabulary. I, I think I think I, no. Well, you, you obviously try to. It's, it's not so much of keeping it out or whatever. Um, I think it's more so the fact when you're you're talking with with guys that are obviously English and. Um, you know, their, their vocabulary and, and the words that they use and they're accustomed to. And, um, so yeah, I mean, you just, uh, you know, you, you just get on with it. And then obviously, like I said, when you go back home and, you know, a word flips out here or there, you know, the, the guys definitely let you know about it. <laughs> I mean, I, I always found it interesting, obviously with, with Friedel, uh, cause you know, everyone here in the U S thinks he has an accent, but you know, you talk to some people in the UK and they'll say, no, he doesn't really have an accent. Uh, do, do, do you find that kind of funny that, I mean, it, when you hear him, I mean, you hear an accent, right? Um, yeah, I can, I can definitely hear it sometimes when I, when he, uh, you know, when speaking to him, when it, when it comes out for sure. Um, 
you know, like I said, when, when, when I'm, you know, around town, at least everyone's like, Oh, you're, you're American accent, you're American accent. Um, you know, and then obviously when I go, go back home, go, go to the U S Oh, you can, you can hear the English accent slip in here or there. So, uh, you know, like I said, I guess it goes both ways. I have to ask this last one. Do you still have, or do you have a Chicago accent in the, in the repertoire? Can you, can you, can you break that out if you need to? I see. I just, I just talk normal. So I don't, to me, I, I don't, I don't think it's a Chicago accent. Now, you know, whether you know, that, you know, the is, extreme version, you know, the extreme, you know, like the bears, you know, I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, there's, there no, is a I know bit what of you're extreme. talking about for sure, but, but for me, but for me, that's just, that's, that's, that's normal way of talking. Everyone else has accents, you know, so the people on the East coast, you know, some, some water, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, those are the accents for me. So, well, Brad, thank you so much for jumping on the show, and uh, good luck going forward. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me again. I have this good stuff there with Brad Guzon, and uh, you know, you and I were talking a little bit off the air about you know the the future of, of Brad Guzon going forward because I think Tim Tim Howard is, is going to be the starting goalkeeper when he comes back from his injury, obviously, which will be in you know, a month and a half. But for a player like Guzon, though, and with the and with the Gold Cup meaning something this year, I mean, he could be. He could be the starting goalkeeper for the entire Gold Cup. I mean, you could possibly see that. I, I think that's a, a definitely a possibility. Uh, you know, obviously, Jurgen Klinsmann on Friday, uh, you know, spoke out and pretty much said, "Look, Tim Howard's the number one. Uh, Brad Guzan was great in the qualifiers in March, but you know, Howard is still the guy. He is still the established leader and and, and a real presence on the team, and still a top level goalkeeper." I know it seems like some fans have short memories or really think that Guzan is the new number one. He's not the number one, but he's shown he's a quality number two. And like you said, now with the Gold Cup, the winner of the Gold Cup being able to play for a chance to play in the 2017 Confederations Cup, there's something on the line now. So it's not a completely meaningless tournament beyond the trophy. So if you're Jurgen Klinsmann, and Brad Guzan isn't going to be playing in those June qualifiers. Uh, mm-hmm. There's absolutely no reason why you wouldn't want to put him on that Gold Cup team and, and give that team the best possible chance to win. Well, along with that Gold Cup team, you know, the, you put on your website the other day, you know, just very kind of quick, like, you know, this is what we could possibly see for the U.S. team. This is what we could possibly see. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For the for the World Cup qualifying team, this is what we could see for the Gold Cup team. You know, Guzan on there. But, you know, with, with the Gold Cup team, I mean, we could still possibly see it heavy MLS you know, heavy MLS, and I mean, it could give a lot of these guys, you know, one opportunity now to to really play some important minutes for a team, and, and maybe earn that call up to the senior team, possibly. Well, I mean, there are obviously going to be MLS guys on the Gold Cup team, but um, you know, I, I I don't know how many really new faces we're going to see because I mean, the depth chart, uh, the U.S. depth chart is pretty strong right now, and and I don't know how many completely new faces are really going to get a look uh, come July for the Gold Cup. I I think we've seen a lot of the players who are probably going to be, you know, taking part in that. Uh, having said that, these next few months are key. I mean, you know, for, for players to really put themselves on the radar or possibly play themselves off the radar, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, obviously someone like Landon Donovan, you know, he chances are he's going to be on the qualifying team, but he still has to play well these next few months. Guys like Eddie Johnson, Graham Zussi, you know, they, they're pretty safe bets for the qualifying team. Um, but then when you talk about the gold cup, it might seem like it's wide open, and in years past, yes, the uh, MLS has, has has stocked the rosters, but you feel like this this time around, there's so many European and, and international uh, Americans abroad players that that are in that mix, and um, you know, no pun intended, mixed this screwed another one of those players. Um, so it, it, it's going to be tougher than usual for MLS players to to break into that group, um, but it's still for me, I think, going to be a very interesting Gold Cup, and there's going to be some. Some intriguing players on there, somebody like Joe Corona, who I think could mm-hmm. have a chance to shine. Someone like Terrence Boyd um, had the chance to start on that Gold Cup team. So I, I honestly, I can't wait for that July t- uh, tournament to start. Or Josh Gad, he could be on the roster. Uh, I, I think he definitely could be. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know some people are, uh, aren't so sure about that, but you know, if he keeps playing well from all day, uh, I think he'll be there. Although there are, could be some questions about uh, the schedule and and whether or not his club schedule will allow him to play or not. Um, but I, I think he should be there if he keeps it up and if he's healthy. That's another key for him because he's had some injury issues. Well, Ivis, let's head now into the MLS. There were six games this weekend. Uh, let's quickly go over all of these games. Uh, first game I'm looking at right now is Toronto versus FC Dallas. Dallas looked like they had a victory for the entire game. Toronto somehow found a way to score two goals at the very end of that game. 
And um, I mean, FC Dallas let this one slip away. They, they should have closed it. They should have closed it out and, and packed their bags to go home. Uh, I tell you what. In fairness to Dallas, in fairness to Toronto FC, it wasn't. It wasn't as if they were dominated for eighty minutes, and then they got two fluky goals. I mean, they really controlled the second half. I feel like FC Dallas really kind of just sat on their lead, and and obviously they lost George John at uh, at halftime, and that was a big blow for them. But you have to give credit to Toronto. They really put the pressure on. They they controlled the game for the most part in the second half. And, uh, you know, they played so much better than they did in the first half. Because mm-hmm. i got to tell you, the first half was pretty terrible for them. Um, so you got to give Brian Nelson some credit for, you know, making the adjustments and sending the message to wake, wake his team up. And, and again, it, there were some miscues. Uh, I think the goalkeeper for FC Dallas, uh, obviously, on the first goal had a bit of a shocker. And then the second, the second goal, I mean, Dow da- Russell with an absolute beautiful goal. Um, you know, how, what can you do about that? Um, but th- this, it could be a, a result of build on for Toronto. I mean, they, they've obviously uh, improved. They're a better team, much better team than they were uh, last year. I don't think they're a playoff team, but uh, I think there's some positive signs there. And if you're FC Dallas, you're obviously going to be disappointed, but it's still a point on the road. It's still another game without a loss, and now they get into a, into a big game next weekend against the Los Angeles Galaxy. That's really going to tell us just how real uh, this this good start by Dallas is. Oh, I, I think it's real. I think Dallas just kind of had a very tough game, and and then I mean that streak at the very end by uh, Castillo right there. I mean, if he converted that, Dallas. That, I mean, that would have been nasty at the very end. It was the end to end. Uh, counterattack for Dallas, but I mean, I, the way I look at it, I was, I think Dallas just kind of just they they fell apart at the end. They lost the game, but they're still a very good team, though. Uh, I tell you what, man, it's a long season, but I think the next month will really show us, uh, give us a better idea of where that team stands. And I mean, again, no, not not to take away from this great run that they had, mm-hmm. uh, putting some wins together, but you know, some tougher some tougher games are going to come up now. Um, the, the tough games that they've had have broken kind of their way when you talk about them playing a Houston team coming off a tough Champions League loss and then playing the Salt Lake team that was missing several key starters. So, not, you know, th- that, those kind of things eventually, you know, even out. Uh, they're going to probably p- face a Galaxy team with, with, a, with a Landon Donovan who could be ready to start. Um, it, it's, you know, it's going to be interesting. But again, confidence is there, even though they gave up these points this past week. Shellis Heineman is doing a good job. Uh, but hey, they need George John to get healthy because if he if he were to miss any kind of significant playing time, I think that would really really hurt them. Now, I agree with you on that. All right, next game I'm looking at right here is the Columbus Crew and Philadelphia Union. Uh, not the most exciting game. Uh, Dominic Oduro had a goal in that. Uh, Jack McNerney had the other goal for the Union. Both I mean game ended one one draw. I mean it really wasn't it wasn't the most exciting game, Ivis. It was definitely a, it was a pot of coffee game. You need a pot of coffee to get through that one. It was a little bit of a snoozer. Uh, you got to give Dominic Aduro credit. You know, he really looked dangerous in that game. And, I mean, anyone who's followed him through the years, he is what he is. He's extremely fast, maybe the fastest guy in the league, but his touch and his finishing are not always there. Uh, they were there this Saturday. You know, he, he finished a chance, although, to be fair, he was left wide open. Uh, you know, Jeff Park lost the mark and, and left, let him just run into the area by himself, gave him all day to, to take a shot on goal. Um, but still, if, if you're a Duro, that's a big goal just to kind of try to get yourself going. Mm-hmm. If you're Philly, you still have to be happy with a point. Um, you know, they, 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 they got a road win in Colorado, and now they've got this point uh, against Columbus, uh, a rival in the East. And, you know, they, they still got some issues. I still think that, you know, they need Cleverson to get in that lineup. They need Michael Farfan to get healthy. Um, and even then, I think they're still only a fringe kind of playoff contender. But, uh, you know, they they need to they need to still kind of come away with that feeling good about a point on the road. Yeah, no, point on the road is uh, always important. When you talk about big victories, though, Ivis, Colorado defeated Real Salt Lake one to zero. Very interesting game. Saborio uh, blocked on a PK. Then he had another chance late to to equalize. And uh, I mean, Colorado defeated Real Salt Lake. That's a big win for Colorado. Oh, without a doubt. And I mean, it wasn't just a it wasn't just a win. It was a it was a very solid win. I mean, they they played what had to be their you know their best game of the year. And you know you can look at the stats and you can see that Real Salt Lake had the edge in possession, which again that's nothing new when you talk about Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Colorado looked good. I mean, they looked better than they than you would think they would look considering they're missing almost half a team worth worth of starters. I mean, all the injuries that they've had. I mean, from the goalkeeper on up in the midfield and forward. Uh, you know they're missing a ton of players, and and they had some young. Uh, once again, they have this youth movement going on. Said it before the year, 
that that they have this young generation of players that you know you give them another year they're going to be something to watch. But now these guys are getting a lot of playing time early. When mm-hmm. you talk about Dylan Powers, Deshaun Brown, Shane O'Neill, uh, you know Tony Cassio, second year player from Arizona. Uh, he, yeah, think, that's right. And now Clint Irwin, who's becoming fast becoming one of the great success stories of the early season. Uh, you know, stepping in as a as a fill in for for Matt Pickens and looking great and saving a PK against Alvaro Saborio. Uh, I'm not I'm not saying Colorado's going to make the playoffs. I'm not saying they're going to be that strong a team. But that that game impressed me. That and and anyone who ha- has seen them this year, that performance just has to make you stand up and say, oh, maybe maybe Oscar Pereja has got something going on here, and maybe they can start being a real threat in the West. Well, when you talk about impressive performances, Edson Buttle. Did not did not score the goal, but when the ball came in, he trapped it, held onto the ball inside the box, kind of got pushed over, and then, then poked it over um, to uh, to um, I mean, brain fart to Atiba Harris. Yeah, thank you, and uh, scored. But for Buttle, though, I mean, that's important for him one to get minutes and to contribute for this team because they're going to need that from him this season. Right. I mean, if they're going to have a chance to be a, a real contender, they need Buttle to get back to his top level, to his all-star caliber level. Um, and, you know, he, he's, he's kind of slowly working his way back. Um, and they also, I mean, they have Deshaun Brown, who for me is looking really, really good as a forward. I mean, he does not look like a rookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do need Buttle. They need Buttle to play at a, at a high, high level. He's not there yet, but that assist uh, kind of gives you an idea that maybe he's getting there. No, that that's true. When you talk about, um, here we go, talk about big victories. Let's continue that trend. I think the trend this week in Ivis was big victories. Um, first victories. First, yeah, fir- first victories. Yes, that's true. I'm sorry. You're right. First victories. Number two, I thought uh, forwards returning from injuries and contributing. We'll, we'll talk a little more about that with the San Jose Earthquakes. And then the other thing was turnovers. I, okay, I, I didn't have a chance to watch every game. I mean, I watched a couple of games, watched a couple of highlights from a couple of other games. And what I saw was just atrocious back passing out of every single team this weekend, Ivis. It was it was pretty ugly. Uh it wasn't a it wasn't a stellar year for, for defenders and goalkeepers in MLS. Uh you know, I, I agree with you. There was there were a disproportionate number of, of just brain farts and yes. right outright blunders. Alright, well let's move on to another game. Portland, like we said, first victories. Portland got the first victory. Uh, in the first half, I, I really kind of don't know what to say about them, Ivis, but then they come out in the second half, and they are just on fire. Ryan Johnson scores a brace, and Portland looks like a team that, you know, might be ready to, to take it to the next level with this victory. Well, I'll tell you, man, anyone that's watched them play this year, you've seen, you know, kind of a, a common theme. You know, the first half would be disappointing. Uh, the first half, they, they, they would show things. They, they, they probably have the edge in possession. They probably have a decent passing percentage but they wouldn't really put threatening chances in the final third. Second half have, have been a completely different story in, in many, most of their games where they've really stepped up the intensity, they've really put more pressure on opponents and created more chances. This, this, the, what changed this time around is that they didn't give up that, that early goal. They didn't, they didn't have the defensive breakdowns that have doomed them in so many games and put them in early holes in so mm-hmm. many games. So, when, so it, playing... Playing from behind just go really is tough for to, for them to do in the style of play that they play. But if they ever get a lead, then then it really puts opponents under under pressure because you know you're playing from behind. You're trying to get the ball off a team like Portland that can just knock it around and keep the ball so well. And that's what we saw. The, you know, the Dynamo didn't have Oscar Boniac Garcia, didn't have Will Bruin, and not having Garcia, especially. I mean, that energy that he brings, it was just it was just always going to be impossible for them to to kind of keep up with Portland and the energy they have and the and their ability to keep the ball once they got that first goal. And then it's just like they tighten the noose, mm-hmm. and, and the Dynamo just had no chance. And I, you know, I said it before the season. I, I thought once Caleb Porter, you know, gets his system in place and things really get rolling, I think they're a playoff team. And I know it's only their first win, but you really saw it on Saturday. You saw why this team can be a playoff team and why they can turn it around. Oh, especially with the play of uh, Ryan Johnson. And then you go over and you look at another player like Will Johnson, who's wearing the captain's armband uh, last week against the Colorado, but scored a brace, his first two goals on the season. I mean, goals don't come very often for Will Johnson. But when you talk about just the presence of a couple of leaders on the team, especially Will Johnson, I mean, Portland, you, you kind of wonder where they could be in a couple months from now with these guys. Well, you know, when, when you mentioned 
the brothers Johnson, yeah. Ryan and Will. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you, Ryan Johnson, I know, I know when, when they made the trade for him, there were some question marks about him. And is he really someone that they should be trading a high first round draft pick for? But you know what? Caleb Porter saw a lot in him and saw him being a really good fit for his system. And and it, and he's really shown that. I mean, I know he finally got going scoring wise this week, but his phys- his his physical presence, his ability to hold off hold hold the ball and make runs, and and he's 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 a better player than he gets credit for being. And and I think we're go- just going to start seeing that now. Um, you know, that, now the goals are going to start coming. And as for Will Johnson, Will Johnson has really been setting the tone from day one on that team. Uh, every game, he he gives his all. Every day, he is the engine of the team. And obviously, he wasn't alone in this last win. You have to give credit to guys like Diego Chara, Darlington Nabby, Rodney Wallace. A lot of guys stepped up, but Will Will Johnson really has been the engine, the the the, the heartbeat of that team from day one. And there's, I mean, there's a reason Caleb Border wanted him and, and and targeted him to trade for him. And there's a reason he's given him the armband. Well, speaking of Will Johnson, I was, let's uh, let's have him on the show. Let's head up to Portland. Let's welcome in Will Johnson. Will, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys? We are doing excellent. First win of the season for you guys the other day over the Houston Dynamo. You know, you went into the half scoreless, came out in the second half, and looked incredibly impressive. What changed for you guys? Um, you know, we we knew it was a ninety minute game. Uh, we weren't trying to win the game uh, in the in the first five minutes. Obviously, we wanted to get off to a better start, but uh, you know, one of our main priorities was to make sure that we got a shutout. So once we made sure that we were solid at the back and, and didn't give up an early goal and weren't fighting from behind like we have been uh, so many times this season, um, you know, we we grew in confidence and we started to get the ball more. And you know, we we knew it was just a matter of time um, before we would get that first goal. Now you, you've guys, uh, Will, you've had a few of those games uh, this year so far where you, know, you you didn't have the best first half uh, or you know up to your your ability but then the second half at halftime Caleb makes adjustments second half you guys come up flying obviously in Colorado uh, you turned around a two-goal deficit to get a point there what what, what do you think's kind of been the issue uh, early on and 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 what do, you, what do you think you guys figured something out maybe uh, after that Colorado game that, that could help you guys going forward yeah, uh, a little bit of everything. Um, you know, it, it hasn't just been one thing that that's played us. Uh, there was a couple games where we had slow starts. Energy just wasn't right. You know, that's going to happen from time to time. And then there was another part where we just didn't deal with it very well. Um, you know, a few things happened where we, we made mistakes and we shot ourselves in the foot uh, and our reactions weren't good and we started to get a little frustrated. Um, so those occasions when we went in halftime, we were able to talk about it and discuss it you know, make sure that we, we salvaged something in those games. And then there was also uh, a bit of bad luck. I mean, if you look at the goal that the power scores against us last week, I mean, yeah, we could do a little bit better, but uh, I mean, it's a, an amazing shot and, and you just have to tip your hat and, and pick yourselves up. And, and we didn't, we didn't do that very well. We didn't, uh, you know, we got frustrated with each other a little bit and started to, uh, you know, get down thinking, oh, here we go again. So it was a, you know, a mix of different things. And I, I think it's, it's probably been uh, beneficial for us uh, to go through a little bit of adversity this early in the year. And, um, you know, a new group coming together, uh, you know, when we were able to rally back from, from deficits, obviously that, that brought a lot of uh, belief and a lot of positive energy uh, in the locker room and around the club. Now, now, Will, obviously this, this last off season was a big one uh, in terms of a change for you, having been at Real Salt Lake, uh, uh, for for so many years, uh, you know the team obviously made made, made the shake up to the roster, and you made the move to Portland. Can you just talk about that that move that making that change, and also going to a team like Portland, a team that obviously wanted you, Coach Caleb Porter, who who picked you out specifically to bring you in and, and kind of be the leader of the team. Yeah, uh, you know these things happen in this league. The way the salary cap is set up, um, you know, and and the bonus structures where. Where salaries rise uh, quicker than salary caps, um, these things eventually you have to. When you have a good team, uh, most of the time you eventually have to blow it up, which is, uh, you know, which is what happened in Salt Lake. So, you know, in Salt Lake they had their untouchable guys, uh, and uh, I found out that I, I wasn't one of them. Uh, you know, there was a couple of guys there that they said, you know, no matter what, they, they won't trade them. And then I think there's some other guys that they tried to trade and, and couldn't get what they wanted, and I kind of fell in between. Um, and you know, that said to me, okay, perfect, time to move on. And once I, uh, I heard about the opportunity in Portland to come up here and uh, get an opportunity to be a part of a, a fantastic franchise, it just seemed like the right challenge for me. Um, you know, really excited me. Uh, it was something that I 
you know, I thought a lot about and, and I was very sad to leave Salt Lake, but you know, the opportunity to come up to Portland, um, after finding out, uh, I wasn't in the plans for, for RSL anymore. It just made perfect sense to me. And, uh, and the club has been so professional with me and, and taking care of me since the first day that I got here. And I, I couldn't be more excited to, to be here and, and, and be a part of, uh, of Caleb's, uh, squad here. Now, one, one of the knocks on Portland, uh, in the previous years was that the team was a little bit soft. Uh, you know, it wasn't the hardest, you know, most hard edge team there was. And obviously you bring you bring that edge to, to the game yourself. Can you just talk about just filling that void and, and also just playing for Caleb Porter, somebody who, you know, it seems just from knowing him, it seems like you guys would be a, a perfect fit just in terms of temperament, personality and, and approach to the game. What's it been like playing for him? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's a big part of my game. You know, it wasn't uh it wasn't a good um, vibe around this team the past couple of years when we played against them. You know, you you would often realize that, that Portland would eventually beat themselves. You know, they weren't a very mentally tough team just because of all the the stuff that had gone wrong, and they started not to believe in uh, you know in themselves and that kind of stuff. So that's been well documented. Um, and and so we you know we needed to create a new identity. One of Caleb's uh, first meetings was creating a new identity with the new Portland Timbers and. You know, the past is the past. Obviously, you can't change that. But we need to be a team that's uh, got some bite to it and, and, and play some good soccer, but at the same time is a, a mentally tough team, you know. you got to be able to go on the road in this league and, and pick up points. Um, and that's important and something that Portland wasn't successful at in the past. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the mental toughness side of things and uh you know and, and having a little bit of bite and so I, I try to bring that every day in training i i uh i try to bring that every day in in the games and in the locker room and make sure that um you know we're uh we respect people but we also uh you know need to show our fans that we care about uh winning and, and being tough and, and being a hard team to beat um, more than anybody uh, and caleb is uh caleb you know He's a he's a guy. He's a fiery guy. Uh, he likes to win, and uh, you know if he, if he could have played a little longer, I think more people would see that because um, he seems pretty calm and, and collected. But he's a very passionate guy, very fiery um, competitor, uh, and he wants his team to uh, to back down to nobody. Uh, you know, we go into a we go into every game believing that that we can win, and um, you know, no matter what happens up until the last minute, we're we're never going to quit, and uh, and that's. Uh, what I believe in, and, and that's what the message that's coming from Caleb. So, all the guys are uh, are getting that that message loud and clear, and they're on board. Now, now Caleb told me that uh, obviously in the preseason, you you know you, you came in to set a tone, uh, and there, there were a few scraps maybe in in training in preseason, which I get, which obviously happens every now and then. But it seemed like the the, the tone was set early on. Uh, for a more intense atmosphere, talk a little about that, and talk about just wearing the armband, being a captain of a team, and what that means for you. Obviously, in Assault Lake, that as you said, there were kind of some bigger names there, but you know, in Portland, you know, you are the captain. It's it's kind of, it's kind of your team. We'll, we'll just we'll talk about that responsibility. Preseason was interesting here because you had some guys who were returning. You had a lot of guys who were uh, getting traded, and they were you know they were getting rid of. Uh, guys that they didn't think would fit the new identity of this team. Um, so it was interesting. You had it was very competitive. It was very edgy. Um, it was uh, it was tight at times, um, but it was competitive. It was good. Uh, you had guys who were competing just to make the roster. Uh, you had a lot of guys trying to prove to Caleb, hey, you know, I was here in the past, but um, I'm here now, and uh, you know, I'm a guy who can can help you forward. And then you had a bunch of new guys coming in um, who were also trying to prove. You know, listen, you made a good trade for me, and, and I'm going to make sure that I'm one of your guys. And so bringing that together, the new and the old, with the new coach and uh, and some of the old staff members and, and blending that whole thing together, everybody was trying to find their place. So obviously during that, there was a little, you know, a little bit of shakeout, a few flare-ups and, you know, minor things here and there, which I think was good. So it was an interesting preseason and uh, an interesting dynamic within the group, but uh, one that I, I think ultimately makes us stronger and uh, I I think we still have a lot of good competition within the squad, so um, we've got to make sure that we keep that around, you know, and not get complacent now that everybody's starting to get more comfortable with each other. With each other, uh, you know, as far as wearing the armband, uh, you know, it's a personal dream, a dream come true for me. Um, it's something that I've uh, I've always taken a lot of pride in. Um, you know, I, I love leading by example. I love leading on and off the field, helping out guys with my experience, however I can. 
um, you know, doing whatever I can for the team. I, I said last week after I scored a couple of goals in Colorado that I would I would trade them for a team win uh, any day of the week, and that's um, what I believe in. Uh, it's all about the team, and I just want guys who who buy into that. Where, you know, we're all willing to go in, roll up our sleeves, fight. Um, and no matter what happens out on that field, we have 11 guys who are going to stick together, and we don't have any uh, egos or, or guys who are going to stray from from that philosophy. And if they do, uh, they'll they'll be brought back in uh, very quickly. Um, so that's uh, that's what I believe in, and I, I take uh, a, a huge amount of pride and responsibility um, in this uh, in this once in a lifetime opportunity um, that I've been given to, to captain one of the um, the most uh, amazing franchises in, in North America with our our fan base and and our owner uh, and the the level of professionalism around this club. Um, it, you know, it's on my shoulders and, and the guys to make sure that we we turn this organization around because if we can get winning. Um, around here, uh, you know, the sky's the limit as far as um, you know what we can accomplish and, and become legends in this club, and uh, you know, cement ourselves as a, a top team in the league. Now, Will, I hadn't uh, been to Portland until I was there for the season opener. I uh, got a chance to see you out there, and and I'd heard about the atmosphere and how the fans are and how gelled win can be on match days and and what that city is like, and and you don't really get it until you actually get to go there and experience it firsthand. What's it been like for you just to kind of play in that environment, and, and also just live in Portland, the city, the city itself? Just what, what's that been like for you? Yeah, the, you know the environment is. It's very cool. Um, I, I've had it pretty good. You know, the fans in Salt Lake are, are also top fans in this league. Um, but the, the atmosphere here, it's just different. It's, uh, it's European. It's, it's authentic. Um, it's, it's unique. Um, the way that they chant, uh, they're standing the whole game, the energy and the passion that these fans put into every game. I mean, it's it's extraordinary, and, and then you're right. Until you come and see it, uh, and and hear it, and experience it for yourself, you just don't quite appreciate it. Um, you know, you see it on TV, and you hear about it, and you read things about it, but until you get here and you see it, you know, in person, live, it's uh, you know, there's there's no other atmosphere like it in the league. There there just isn't. Um, you know, as as far as as playing here and and. You know how how we can continue to to build that and, and keep going with the fans. I you know it, it's something that we just I think will, will come with wins and, and keeping doing the things that we're doing um, because it's important. You know, and I think for other clubs around the league to see um, you know fan bases like Seattle, uh, Salt Lake, Portland, uh, it, it raises the bar. You know, other teams have to look up to these organizations who are putting. Um, fans in the seats and and creating these these pretty cool atmospheres so i think it raises the whole profile of the league which is which is fun to be a part of well fans may not know this but you have a unique background of growing up uh you know being born in canada moving to england then uh out to chicago area talk a little bit about your background yeah definitely unique uh, my parents are professors so they were teaching at the university of toronto when i was born there uh, but they're uh of british descent so we uh we moved back to the the uk uh to liverpool um when i was uh when i was very young about one uh till i was about 10 um grew up in liverpool so that's when i got addicted to the game uh growing up in liverpool watching uh, games at anfield all that good stuff and then we moved uh over to chicago um for you know when I was about 10 and, and that's you know I got involved with the soccers and the magic and was following the fire um, became good friends with Michael Bradley then and, and Bob Bradley was the coach of the fire so got to be in and around those guys and there was a, a very cool locker room and that was when I kind of got addicted to MLS and uh, very intrigued by the league and it was growing uh, so much and that's where the dream came from I just wanted to, to be those guys I wanted to be Novak and the Marcus Beasley and Bocanegra and, and you know Jesse Marsh, Antti Razoff these guys I would watch train uh, day in day out watch him play down in Naperville for a little bit which is where I grew up and went to high school for a couple of years um, so that's kind of my uh, that's kind of my uh, my story. And now, Michael, funny, uh, Will, funny you mentioned Michael uh, Bradley because obviously, you know, he's top player for the U.S. now. And, and you, you, you know, he's one of your best friends and you know him better than, than most. Uh, so, you know, I'm going way back. What what, uh, what do you just think about the success he's had? And what what, what do you think would be the most kind of interesting thing about him that, that fans might not know about about Michael from from his younger days? Yeah, uh, you know, 
firstly proud of proud of him. You know, always knew that he he had it in him uh, to go and do those things. Um, you know, Michael's a unique guy, a uh, guy who loves the game, values the game, uh, and what he, the opportunities that it gives him over um, other things that you know most people like their their social life and stuff. For Michael, it's always about being a good pro and, and being professional and. Uh, you know, and I know Michael, uh, he loves playing for his country and to see him uh, out there and watch him play for, for Roma and stuff. It's, it's fun to follow his, uh, his career. He, um, he definitely, a lot of people don't know, you know, when, when Bob was the coach, he, he would go up to, uh, you know, these Chicago fire trainings when he was 10, 11, 12 years old and he would get involved, uh, you know, in the little five V twos. And, uh, he was always out there with his cleats on from, from day one. It wasn't like he kind of grew up and, you know, just decided, ah, you know, I'll go to go play soccer one day. He's just been around the game, uh, his whole life. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's as good, a good a pro as they come, which, which probably most people know, but, um, you know, he's, uh, he's a fun guy to, to watch, have a lot of success. That's for sure. It came up. It came up the other day about about Michael, and, and you know, I was remembering to his really his early days, his pre growth spurt days, and it's interesting just to tell people that you know when he was young, uh, younger, you know, he was kind of the tiny playmaker. He wasn't this kind of big, you know, box to box guy just terrorizing people. Is it how much has his game changed from from when you guys were younger, much younger? Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he was. You know, he grew quickly, um, so he he was tall. Um, but, but not overly athletic. He had to, you know, it was good for him because he had to rely on his soccer and he had to find, um, other ways to, to beat people than, than just pure, uh, pure athleticism. But he's come a long way. He, uh, you know, he would, he would play make, but I think most guys, when you're young, everybody starts out as a striker, you know, scoring 10, 15 goals, uh, you know, three or four goals a game uh, when you're a young kid, and then eventually you kind of drop back and, and you find your spot. Uh, and, you know, so for, for Michael, he, uh, you know, he, he, he's best in that, that little midfield role, but he's always, uh, he's always been an, uh, a guy who's got an eye for goal, and he always finds a way, some way, um, to, to, to nick a goal here and there, and, and that's what makes him... Uh, a special player because it's it's you know scoring goals is the hardest thing to do in the game and uh, from a defensive midfield perspective he he definitely finds a way to to get some big goals for for both club and country so that's fun to fun to watch and, and definitely shouldn't be underappreciated. Well, uh, Canada can't qualify for the World Cup this year, but the Gold Cup is going to be coming up for you guys this summer. How important is it for you guys to you know one perform well in this Gold Cup and now there's that added you know bonus that if if you can win. Uh, this edition of the Gold Cup, you get to play in a one-game playoff for the Confederations Cup. For Canada, you know, where do you value this Gold Cup going in, and, and, and how important is it for you guys to perform well? Yeah, it, it's tough. Um, obviously, we're we're extremely disappointed that we uh, we're out of the World Cup qualifying, um, but at the same time, it doesn't really do us a whole lot of good to, to dwell on on that fact. We need to. Um, pick ourselves up and, and figure out ways to move the organization forward. Obviously, the, there's going to be a hiring of a coach at some point, uh, and whoever is in charge of that has a, a lot of responsibility to make the, the correct decision. Um, the Gold Cup, uh, you know, obviously with the added incentive, it you know it, it helps us a little bit, but we've got uh, a few aging guys now, and we've we've got to start to, to replenish uh, the tank with some younger players, some guys that we're going to be able to count on in, in the next cycle. You know, the Gold Cups are 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 what they are you know they they're they're good tournaments uh they're fun to play in um but but the ultimate goal for any professional is to is to, to try and play in a world cup and uh and get ourselves there so we really need to to make a five-year plan uh as to how we're going to be able to get ourselves into the into the hex next time so we got to develop some young players we've got to get a coach we've got to get a little bit better of a, better of a system and uh continue to try and progress and obviously i think it'll help having vancouver montreal toronto getting you know some young canadian kids interested in the game following uh the team obviously there's not a whole lot of canadians playing um major minutes for those three clubs but i think if you have kids like me growing up in chicago watching the fire in canada watching toronto vancouver montreal getting addicted to soccer uh, and growing up in canada we've got to find those kids and, and develop them and nurture them and Obviously, this isn't gonna. Uh, it's not gonna happen overnight. But there needs to be some progressive plan um, 
to get you know to get the national team up to par because with the the, the amount of kids and the resources and, and all the good stuff that we have in Canada, um, there should be no excuses that we should be able to develop players, and we got to figure out a way to do that. So I have to ask: so Liverpool is your English team? Yeah, yeah. I thought. I mean, I was a I was a pretty hardcore fan when I was a kid. Um, as the years have gone on, I. I you know, I, I critique players a, a lot harder than I did when I was a kid. I just adored everyone, and now I actually don't like um, the majority of the guys on the <laughs> Liverpool team. So it's it's hard because my first game was at Anfield, but now I I find players playing for Liverpool, and, and you know they're not putting in the effort, and I'm not big fans of uh, a lot of the players currently. So I'm uh, I'm torn, uh, but I I do uh, I do appreciate Liverpool for what they are. Did you did you um did you watch that documentary this summer then? I did. I watched. I watched parts of it. Yeah, but those things, you know, they got the final edit, and uh, you know, they're never going to show anything really, really bad. So I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Brendan Rodgers looked like a, a superstar in the, uh, in the documentary, but but obviously it was all Liverpool edited and, and swayed for them. Now speaking of managers, uh, you've played. You've gotten a chance to play for two of the, you know, better young managers in the American game, and and uh, Jason Christ and Caleb Porter. How are they? How would you say they're similar? And and kid, is it fair to say we might see you on the sidelines? Uh, you know, say a couple of years from now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully more than a uh, a couple, but at some point, you know, I, I I love the game. I appreciate it. I'm so thankful to be a part of of you know soccer, the soccer community, and and whatever uh, whatever the future holds, I'll, I'll embrace that when the time comes. Uh, Jason and Caleb. Both awesome guys, very loyal, um, very passionate, very intelligent soccer uh, soccer minds, um, but but very different too. Not as uh, not as similar as you think. Uh, you know, Caleb's a little more uh, personable with his players. Jason's more of a um, more of a uh, he respects the the player coach um, relationship. Um, doesn't uh, you know? Doesn't try to be everybody's best friend. He's a real uh, coach. And Caleb, you know, is a, a little more, uh, a little more friendly uh, in that regard. Um, Caleb, uh, a little more detailed with his meetings and stuff. Jason's kind of short, sharp, uh, to the point. Caleb uh, likes to likes to talk soccer for for extended periods of time, so uh, discussions are usually a, a little longer. But um, I've been fortunate, man. These both of these guys. Uh, I've just started playing for Caleb, and I, I really enjoy it. And every minute that I played under Jason, I, I really enjoyed that too. So, I mean, I could sit here and, and talk all day about both of those guys, man. I, I got a lot of respect for both of them, and they've given me some fantastic opportunities. And um, you know, I still follow follow Jason and, and those guys and wish them well. But um, you know, I uh, I'm really enjoying playing for Caleb now, and I I know all the the guys on the Timbers are as well. So you have no badges right now? Is that what you're telling me? No coaching badges yet? No, no coaching badges yet. I uh, I'm gonna save that one for for a little bit down the line. I don't need to get too anxious. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, awesome. Well, well, hey, uh, thank you so much for joining us today, man. Uh, congratulations on the first W and the uh, the two goals last week. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it, man. Funny thing, Ivis, that I noticed with both of our guests, they grew up in the Chicago area. And speaking of Chicago, they shellacked your New York Red Bulls three to one. I love it. I love it. They are okay. We know they're not my Red Bulls, but I'll tell you what. I have seen them go to the Toyota Park over and over, and no matter what happens, no matter how good well they're playing, no matter how poorly the Fire are playing. The Red Bulls can never get three points at Toyota Park. And I've actually been out there for some of the games. I remember being out there for, for a game in 08 and, and seeing uh, Chris Rolfe drop a hat trick on them. Uh, it, it, it's, it's like it's cursed for the Red Bulls. And, and you got to give credit to the Fire, finally getting that first victory. Uh, Mike Consanto is a player who I know a lot of people scratch their heads when the Fire traded for him. But he showed today what he can do. I mean, he's so streaky. He's a guy who, who, who won't score a goal for six weeks, but then all of a sudden he'll have braces in like back-to-back games. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's that kind of player. But it's, it was such a sorely needed victory for the fire. Uh, you know, after dropping so many points early and, and missing Arn Friedrich and having their offense struggle, they absolutely needed three points in this game, and they got it. Well, like you said, first victory in the season for the Chicago Fire. And talking about a, a coming out, they've only had one goal all season long. They scored three goals this week. What was the difference for them, Ivis? 
Well, I mean, for one thing, the Red Bulls really just had some serious meltdowns, some breakdowns on the goals. I mean, when you talk about the Luis Robles, the goalkeeper had a shocker. He just really didn't have a good game at all. The first goal, you know, you can you could definitely look at, point to the wind and maybe say the wind had some hand in it, but he still could have been more aggressive. And then on on the, on the later goals, he also just didn't really you know cover himself in glory. But you got to give some credit to the fire. You know, they, they defended well. I mean, you're talking about a makeshift back line back there. Mm-hmm. Arn Friedrich's out. Gonzalo Cigaras is out. You're playing Wells Thompson and Hunter, Hunter Freeman uh, in the back. And, and they held their own. And you know what? Part of that, again, the Red Bulls, they don't have quality wingers. They don't have true wing players who could really threaten uh, sus, you know, suspect fullbacks, and and so they weren't able to take advantage of that. So credit to the fire; they defended well. They took advantage of the chances where they came. Daniel Palladini did not give up on a on a floating ball. He fought for it, and he beat Luis Robles with a header. And, and that's a hustle play, and you need. And for a team that's in a hole like the Fire had been, they hadn't won all year. They needed to make the hustle plays, and that's what they did. They out-hustled, out-worked, and, and ultimately outplayed the Red Bulls. I, I got to agree with you on that. Robles just had kind of not his best performance. You know, he's been, he's, I think he's been pretty decent for the Red Bulls this year. You know, you know what I love about this show, Ivis? How we've already had two Arizona player references, and we're going to make that three Arizona player references as we go into the last game. San Jose versus Vancouver. Alan Gordon back. He immediately leaves an impact on the field, sets up Wondolowski for that goal. Lenhart's now back, too. He almost scores a goal later in the game, and the San Jose Earthquakes, but they're two big men up top, all of a sudden look like the team that we saw last year. They're starting to get there, and getting the the big boys, Stephen Lenhart and Alan Gordon back, obviously was a big step. But we have to talk about the absolute brain cramp that Alan Gordon and Victor Bernard has had coming off the field, changed their cleats, they both decide at the same exact time they need to change their cleats, and they were unaware of the rule and the fact that if you leave the field for equipment, you can't just run back on. You have to wait for a stoppage in play. So they had to stand on the sidelines and watch as a as a nine man San Jose Earthquakes gave up the equalizer to Corey Herzog and Vancouver and the Vancouver Whitecaps. That cost them two points right there, and and it's a, it's inexcusable. And at the end of the day, they didn't know the rule and they should have known the rule, and it cost them it cost them a win. You're right, but take away that that one goal right there that Vancouver scored in. I mean, San Jose had a pretty good game. Wondolowski was, I mean, deadly throughout the whole entire game. And, uh, you know, San Jose, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them, especially with the, you know, the way the Western Conference is shaping up right here. I mean, it's going to get starting, it's going to get a little crowded here up top. No, they, I mean, they're going to be back in that mix. I mean, once once they have their full complement of players, they're, they're going to be in that in that top four, top five in the West. I, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't know if I can see them getting all the way back to where they were last year. I mean, obviously, people need to remember they lost Simon Dawkins, and they're still dealing with the absences of guys like Beta Shore and Marvin Chavez. Um, they're going to be there, though. When you got a guy like Wondolowski who mm-hmm. you can count on for goals, when you talk about a defense that wants to have Beta Shore back, has Bernardes, Beta Shore, Morrow, Jason Hernandez, quality back four, they're going to be in every game. And, um, you know, Frank Yellops, I think, you know, he's shown himself to be one of the better coaches around. Uh, he, he's really getting the most out of his roster, considering the the, the number of points that they've gotten uh, to start the season. Considering the injuries they've had, mm-hmm. it's impressive. Even with the brain cramp and even with dropping these points to Vancouver, it's still impressive to see them get over that and still put points on the put points on the board in the standings. Um, but again, I, I I find it hard to, to believe that they're going to be able to find the magic they had last year. That said. You're not going to want to have to face them uh, no. at any point this year when they're healthy because they're a strong team. Leonard with the haircut, do you, do you approve? I, you know what? I, I don't like him, it. I saw him in New York uh, before the start of the season, and he had cut it shorter, but he still had some hair. He still had some curls, and that wasn't a bad look. Now he's completely kind of cut it really short. And yeah. Now he just looks like any other guy. Like you, he, there's, like you see him, and you wouldn't even realize he's Steve Leonard. That's how... how how well, it's, short it's, he cut it. You notice like it's like shaved on the sides, but like curly on the top. It's like he's having like a doesn't know which way he wants to go. It looks like. Uh, I I don't know, man. I don't know what to say. Well, you know what? If he doesn't start scoring goals pretty soon, you're gonna have to ask yourself, was it the hair? See, that's what I was thinking. He had that header, and and he missed it just wide to the left. I was like, you know, if he had his hair, would it have helped? That's what I was thinking. I don't know, man. I tell you what. At this point, I just want to see if how the absence of hair affects his flopping and and his ability to frustrate (laughs) opponents stop it stop it ivis all right that wraps up the show today 
Thank you, Brad Guzon. Thank you, Will Johnson, for joining us. Ivis, as we close it out, do you got anything else you got to say? Well, we uh, we can't forget the fact that this mm-hmm. week will be the second legs yes. of the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals. We would be spending a little more time on it, but we have these long interviews today, and we also know that both MLS teams are facing some serious uphill battles, both the Seattle Sounders and the Los Angeles Galaxy. Uh, it's hard to see either one of them overcoming the, the deficits that they have to overcome, mm-hmm. especially in Mexico, but we're all going to have to sit and watch. We're all going to have to kind of you know grit our teeth and hope that it's not too ugly. Uh, and, and i tell you what, of the two teams, the, if, if either of them is capable of really pulling off a surprise, I think it would be the Galaxy. That that would that would be just unbelievable. That game is going to be on Tuesday. Is the uh, Seattle game, and then LA game is on Wednesday. Uh, first game is at eight, I believe that's Eastern. Uh, the LA game is at ten Eastern. That's seven Pacific. Ivis, have a uh, have a great rest of the day, and uh, we'll catch up later this week. That's right, and uh, we'll see what we'll see which next which our next two guests will be. Uh, we, I think we've done a pretty good job these last few of getting some pretty good guests, and uh, we'll see how the week plays out. And we'll be back on Friday with a, with a, with a few more good guests. Yes, as, and as the cool youth say, Ivis, what do they say? Deuces out. <laughs> Deuces. Yeah, deuces out. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. Ivis and I will be back again a little later this week. This is the SBI Show.